Mortal Kombat is not about death, but rather the preservation of life. Liu Kang and a few chosen fighters from the Earth Realm defeated Outworld Sorcerer Chang Tsung. According to the rules of Mortal Kombat, their victory preserved the safety of the Earth for one more generation. Only to enjoy a brief period of peace. For someone from Outworld has a different point of view. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast, Mortal Kombat Retrospective Series. It has begun! Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. You win the tournament, you win the respect. They'll tell the entire world you're the real goods. Hosted by Arnie. I am the chosen one. Justin. Let Mortal Kombat begin. And Stuart. One of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament. The fate of billions will depend upon you. A handful of people on a leaky boat are going to save the world. Exactly. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers, harsh language, and fatalities. The stance. Listener discretion is advised. Let Mortal Kombat begin! Today we're discussing Mortal Kombat Annihilation, starring Robin Shao, Talia Soto, Brian Thompson, Sandra Hess, Lynn Red Williams, Arena Panteva, James Remar, directed by John R. Leonetti. Are these all pseudonyms? <laughs> This is Arnie, now playing co-host, who thinks of this movie as hell on earth. And Stuart? And this is Justin, and seriously, finish me. (laughs) Alright, I got a story of this one. So Mortal Kombat comes out, and for two years, I'm totally in a Mortal Kombat mode. I'm listening to the techno soundtracks, I pick up the game for the PC Mortal Kombat trilogy, I'm playing Mortal Kombat... And I'm still in touch with that friend. I graduated college. He dropped out and got in the workforce. And Mortal Kombat Annihilation is announced. And we're like, we're there. Opening night, we are there. And we want to take two more of our friends with us. But one of them lives in St. Louis. And so I'm like, I'm driving. We're all going to St. Louis. It's the friend who lives in St. Louis's birthday. We're all driving to St. Louis. We're going to pick him up. We're going to Mortal Kombat Annihilation on a Thursday night preview showing before that was a common thing. We go down, get stuck in St. Louis traffic, arrived at his place a half hour late, and he's not even there. It's his birthday. He got rear-ended and then shoved into the car in front of him. So he arrives, and I'm like, dude, you just were in a car wreck. You just want to go get a drink or something. He's like, no, let's go see this movie. Mm. He claims this movie's the worst thing that happened to him on that birthday. (laughs) We all were just... About 10 minutes into it, like, this isn't the same thing. I was playing the soundtrack for the new movie on the drive to St. Louis, and even the techno wasn't as good. At one point, I'm trying to get into it, and there's this song called Two Telephones and an Air Raid Siren, and it's going, eh, eh. And one of my friends is like, is a truck backing up? What are we listening to? (laughs) And it went downhill from there. Yeah, everyone loved that first one, and yet why is nobody coming back for it? The shocker is they're going to pick up the thread. Seconds after that first movie ended, we're going to jump back into it with Annihilation, and yet who we're jumping back with 
doesn't look like anybody that I remember from the last one, other than Robin Shaw. Robin Shaw's going to do your movie, no matter what it is. He was hired as the stunt choreographer for this whole film. He did the best sequences of the last one. Seems to make sense. He showed up and started working without a contract. He didn't know what they were paying him. <laughs> All he knew is he was going to be stunt coordinator and star. But there were some 20th anniversary screenings of these movies including annihilation and the stars of the films got together and started telling it like it is and fist bump through cyberspace to lyndon ashby who's like yeah we would have come back but lawrence kazanoff wouldn't honor our deal we had a deal he wouldn't honor it he's like we are going to pay you less than for the first movie and so no we're not doing this because kazanoff really thought what sold the movie wasn't the actors, it was the outfits, and it was the fights, and it was the characters. And so he didn't need to bring back anybody. Bring back Robin Shaw if he decides to come, and he'll take two jobs, work two jobs maybe for the price of one. Katana's going to come back, but nobody else is going to come back. They all were free. They could have come back, but <laughs> they would have taken a pay cut. And so they were all like fuck you, we're going to go do other stuff. At the time, it's like, oh, scheduling conflicts. But 20 years later, they're like, yeah, he wasn't going to pay us. That's why everybody is gone. And I'll say, what I liked about that first movie, I said, was the chemistry between the three leads. So, Kazadin, you were wrong. Fatality. Uh, I kind of agree with him. No, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that... <laughs> If you had gotten different actors that maybe had some star appeal or some martial arts skill, that would be a way to go. But by paying less, you know you're probably going to get even less. And I'm not here today to compliment the actors any more than I was willing last week. No, they are far worse. I mean, I'm imagining he was paying scale. These are some low rent. And what's James Ramar doing here? Yeah, I do know a few of the actual actors. I've seen them in other things, but not from the Mortal Kombat universe. That is quite a switch up that we have here. But more characters. I think that, yes, he was betting on the fact that I presume as each Mortal Kombat game came out, more and more characters were introduced to the world. People want to see those. We're going to have a movie overflowing, overpopulated with characters from the video game. Yeah, and by this point, you know, more games had come out and each game introduced more characters. So why not bring some of those to the big screen? Each game would also retire a couple characters they may come back in future ones but it never just compounded more and more and more so they do some of that here now this was the directorial debut of john r leonetti cinematographer for the last one and director of annabelle yes he's also cinematographer for insidious 2 and the conjuring and piranha 3d he seems more a cameraman less a director as most of his directorial stuff the butterfly effect 2 direct to video few episodes of a tv series i guess if you start with mortal Kombat annihilation it's only down from there but he made some bank with annabelle 
Although they didn't bring him back. <laughs> they got a real director to make that sequel that was better. But you know what? It is always interesting when you have someone step into a new role on a film set. You can be a great cinematographer and be a lousy director. But it's always interesting to watch people stretch and grow and see what they bring. He's bringing his brother in who photographed Poltergeist to be his new cinematographer. So I'm thinking the visuals shouldn't be a problem. If anything, hopefully the money is being allotted for better CGI and more visual splash. They're spending more. It's a $30 million budget compared to 18 last time. And yet everything I heard in that Q&A 20 years later, there's no bonus features on these discs. You get a trailer and an ad for the game that's coming out around that time. So I was on YouTube finding these reunions and finding interviews later, and everything I keep hearing is such a tight budget, such a tight budget. I'm like, oh, so this one was made for less than the first one. No, it was almost double the budget. But I think with $30 million, they were trying to make a $100 million movie, and it ends up looking like a high school play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Paul W.S. Anderson was invited back. Now, I don't know what they offered to pay him. <laughs> he decided he would rather go and do something original, Event Horizon. But he did say he was so disappointed in this movie. And actually, everyone, whether they came back for it or not, Robin Shaw, Lyndon Ashby, they're all like the second movie's a piece of shit. But Anderson said it was because of Mortal Kombat 2 that he stayed involved actively with Resident Evil when he wasn't the director because he never wanted a debacle like Mortal Kombat 2 to another sequel of his films. All right, well, I sense where this one's going, but Arnie, why don't you give him the plot and we can get through this high school play. We pick up right where Mortal Kombat 1 left off, where Shao Kahn, no longer a giant, but now played by Brian Thompson, and he's really tall, so it's almost the same thing, <laughs> and his generals have invaded Earth, breaking the rules of Mortal Kombat. In six days, Earth will be totally absorbed by Outworld, and our heroes seem helpless to stop it as Khan easily kills an imposter who claims to be Johnny Cage. Wait, no, Lyndon Ashby isn't back. Cage is played briefly by Chris Conrad? Okay. Shao Kahn is aided by his generals, the Centaur Motaro, the Ninja Ermac, and then Queen Sindel, Princess Katana's mother who Shao Kahn raised from the dead. Thunder God Raiden, now played by James Remar, has a plan. Liu Kang and Katana, played by the only two returning actors, Robin Shao and Talisa Soto. What's wrong with them? <laughs> Well, one of them's named Talisa Soto. <laughs> we already said that problem. <laughs> but whose problem is that really? Go off to find Nightwolf, a shape-shifting fighter played by Lightfoot. Sonya Blade, now played by Sandra Hess, is sent to find reinforcements, which basically means just finding her special forces partner Jax, played by Lynn Red Williams, whose low self-esteem has caused him to wear strength-enhancing robotic arms. Of course, both Liu Kang and Blade have many fights along the way, including one where Scorpion kidnaps Katana, leaving Kang alone. Raiden goes himself to see the Elder Gods to find out why Khan was allowed to invade Earth, and finds out that Raiden's own father, Shinnok, is behind the deception. The shock is that <gasps> Shao Kahn is Raiden's brother. Dun, dun, dun. It's like Cain and Abel, the video game version. <laughs> it all ends in a final fight where Blade, Raiden, Jax, and Liu Kang battle Shao Kahn and his generals. Liu fights Kang and they unleash their animality, transforming into poorly rendered CGI monsters. And then, since that's too expensive, they turn back to human. <laughs> <laughs> or was it expensive enough, frankly? <laughs> 
As Kang is about to win, Shinnok tries to kill the monk, causing the Elder Gods to step in and take away Shinnok's powers for daring to interfere in the combat. They promote Raiden to be a new Elder God in Shinnok's place. And with this, our world returns to normal, and the warriors go home as credits roll. Beautiful. So, again, I'm anxious for this. I've been waiting two years watching the movie on DVD. I want to see how... Christopher Lambert and Lyndon Ashby, Johnny Cage, my favorite character, and Sonya Blade and Liu Kang can fight this 40-foot monster. Wait, where'd the 40-foot monster go? <laughs> Where did Raiden go? I mean, Christopher Lambert doesn't have nothing else to do if he's making the quickening. There's a lot to take in right away. <laughs> Missing actors recast. I think where my eyes went right away and my heart started to feel it a little bit was I felt bad for the actor Chris Conrad, who was recast in the role of Johnny Cage for all of two minutes. <laughs> I went into this movie, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of press about it. I hadn't read a lot. I was reading Entertainment Weekly and game magazines and entertainment magazines galore, and yet somehow I went into this not knowing the cast wasn't back. I had no idea that even Christopher Lambert, I knew that was not the same Sonya Blade, but for the two minutes he was on screen, I thought Chris Conrad might have been Lyndon Ashby. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really matter, does it, when they crack your neck is your one and only acting moment. And again, Johnny Cage, my favorite character, my entire drive to St. Louis, I'm like, I can't wait to see Johnny Cage getting some fights again. They broke his neck. They broke my heart. Yeah. Well, but sometimes can be effective. Sometimes that can really pull you in. Maybe this is the darker, more dramatic Mortal Kombat. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Push him aside and set up the fact that we're not even going to have a Mortal Kombat tournament. This is not based like the other one on people fighting one another. It's sort of a mission to stop the outer world from invading, even though they lost. They're sore losers, and they're just going to take six days and hope none of the other gods notice and just take us hostage. Yeah, they keep saying, wait, we won the tournament. The door is closed. And new Raiden is like, what closes can also open again. <laughs> What's the point of having a tournament if they could just do this? Yeah, that's awesome. Worst losers ever. At one point, Raiden even goes and cries to his god parents i guess <laughs> and <laughs> says hey they're breaking the rules and they said don't worry about it basically it was yeah this is gonna take any convention any hopes and dreams you may have had from the first one of resolving and picking up the story that we just saw and putting you on a new adventure and throw it right out the window and say forget all of that stuff let's look at some cool new characters and watch them kick each other in the face for a while I'm going to make a controversial stance, I think, that will get me a lot of hate, but I have to speak from the heart. I am encouraged because I am laughing. I spent all of the last movie suffering, not having any fun. And as terrible as this introductory fight is, and it's pretty goddamn awful. <laughs> it's one, I mean, I'm pulling out the brown arrow and the whistle and the glow stick and the rave is just on how crappy this thing is when we see these fights. And you said that they needed to hire martial artists and things like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> our new Shao Kahn, instead of a 40-foot demon, is Brian Thompson, stuntman who I primarily know, even though we've reviewed him in a ton of stuff. Oh, yeah. He was the alien bounty hunter from the X-Files series. Oh, okay. My go-to is Fright Night 2, <laughs> but he's a bodybuilder that kind of looked like Arnold and would get Arnold's scraps. I don't know what this makes me, but I know him as Buffalo Bob from Joe Dirt. Oh, boy, that makes you frightening. (laughs) But here's what I'll say about Brian Thompson is I've seen him do enough stuff. He had a couple different roles in Buffy. He's got a face that's made for makeup. Mm -hmm. Makeup just applies itself to him. He's a makeup artist dream is what I've heard in interview after interview. That's why they bring him back in Buffy multiple times and make him look completely different. He's been on Charmed. I've just seen him again and again. This guy can act. He acted well in the X-Files. What he's doing here, I have to just look with scorn at John R. Leonetti and say, what are you directing these people to do? Did you stay home and binge on Power Rangers and then come to the set? What the hell? I know, but you love it, though. Again, maybe you don't love it if you loved the movie last week, but I'm just laughing at just the fart in the face this is <laughs> when Sonya's, like, supposed to be dragged away, and it's not even the CGI. It's just purely, like, physicality. I mean, choreography. People don't know how to move in this thing. It's laughable. You're not alone, because I told you, there was a 20th anniversary reunion for this, and The same people pretty much went to both 20th anniversary reunions. The same guy hosted it. But whereas in the first film, they, like me, were actually adrenalized and having a lot of fun and having a communal experience shouting out the lines here... This was like a Rocky Horror Picture Show review because the line that they all laugh is Katana's mother shows up (laughs) and Katana says, you're alive. And the response is, too bad, you will die. Yeah, (laughs) It's the kind of dialogue you expect in mistranslations of Hong Kong karate films where like, oh, someone didn't know English well enough. But then these people have no excuse. It never was in a foreign language. They're just embracing the bad dialogue. Right. And to use Arnie's high school play analogy, something written by 13-year-olds who aren't on the same page. I mean, the first line that got me that I was like, oh, boy, is there no adult on set here? Is Sub-Zero shows up and they're like, (laughs) Sub-Zero, I killed you. And he's like, that was my brother. Oh, okay. Let's just move along then. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) Although, if you ever wondered what happened to Laura Sangiacomo's fright wig from the stand, it worked again. It's here. (laughs) Yeah. There's just a lot of delight to how stinky this opener is. And it will not get better from this point. Again, I'm just more enlivened. I know it's worse. But I'm actually more engaged. I'm having more fun. I know that this is not trying to adrenalize me. It's just god-awful. And yeah, you're just looking forward to the people falling on their face. The writers need to stop feeding me lines throughout the movie. We're five minutes into it. One of Johnny Cage's few lines, this is not good. I'm like, no, it isn't. What the hell is this? And they have the gambit that more characters will help. And what it really is, is that you just lose track of what anyone is doing. It just becomes a series of fight scenes disconnected. That without the framework of it being a tournament, you're just people all over the world just getting into silly fights that you can't tell one from the other. So let's frame this story to make sure it's completely understood. 
Because in the plot summary, things can be glossed over. <laughs> or an apparent. So, Shao Kahn has opened the portal between the realms. Right. It's going to take six days, and Earth is merging with Outworld. The whole Earth is merging. When things get fixed later on, we're going to see New York, San Francisco. We don't see a single person from the normal world. In fact, when they go to the normal world, the entire place is deserted except for one guy. So what is happening to, like, us? We're recording a podcast and we start merging with Outworld. And what are we doing during this time? And does it feel like six days pass in this movie to you? You know, I got really confused once they bust out the hamster balls. I mean, I'm just, I'm just cheering that the best way to get around Earth is to get into a giant gyrosphere and hug your partner and the love will help you turn corners and you roll through the center of the Earth and that's how people are like going to yeah. get around. <laughs> and you got to break hard right. Meanwhile, the Eiffel Tower is popping out of the floor and who knows where the World Trade Center went. And Katana's like, these will get you anywhere in the Earth in a number of hours. How does that save you time? <laughs> it's not like... It's you mean kind of like an airplane? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And imagine the time it takes to stop feeling dizzy after rolling through the center of the Earth. Oh, you're moving so fast, it feels like you're not moving at all. I don't think it works that way. No. And I do love how it's like, you have to get in a missionary position, guy on top of girl, to roll in this ball. Is it just a kinky sex toy? It's a failed one, if that's... That's the intent. There's nothing hot about this, but we are seeing the characters break <laughs> apart and, yeah, scouring the different missions to see how to combat Shao Kahn, who is working with his father, a new character, I'm presuming not from the games? From the games, Shinnok. So Shinnok is helping the portal stay open and letting the other gods, because he's a god, stay in the dark about what he's doing. He thinks six days can pass, and if they're not noticing, then they'll just have a melded earth and outer world. So the three missions, Liu Kang is sent to find Nightwolf because even though he just saved the world from Shang Tsung, he's still not enough for Shao Kahn. But Meanwhile, Raiden is going to go get a haircut at the Temple of the Gods, and Sonya is sent to get reinforcements. She's going back to get Jax, who I laughed at. She had no love for. She only loved her dead partner. She has no love for her living partners. And to make himself seem more tough, to battle this insecurity, he goes and gets himself some new robotic arms. In the game, he actually had his arms amputated so he could have robot arms. Here, they're just shells because like the last one, we're going to have some semblance of a cartoon level morality going on or a life lesson, something that will end and knowing's half the battle. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> I wasn't sure where they were going to go with that. I was trying to gauge just how B-level this movie was because I knew in the game that his arms were fully cybernetic and replacements for his other arms, not just sleeves. And there's parts in this movie where you can see his hands. I'm like, so how does that work? Does he have robot arms and real hands? But apparently we'll find out later on that these are just sleeves. And this seems to be done against his will because he's like chained down. I don't know who did it, but he, he has restraints. But the dialogue makes it sound like he did it to himself. Obviously there were doctors somewhere. Maybe he was restrained so that he didn't hurt himself. But 
where did the doctors go? What hospital is this? I can understand why Jax would do it. I have a new partner. It's Sonya Blade. I hear she's really good. Why does she tell me she doesn't trust me? Why did she leave me to go after Kano alone? Am I that bad? I need robot arms. But it's a different actor playing Jax like everybody else this time. And I will say Lynn Red Williams playing Jax is my favorite character in this movie. He gets some pretty funny one-liners as it goes. He's gonna say what we're all thinking at times. He seems to be the only one who realizes what kind of movie he's in. So I will give him that. Yes, he's playing to the right audience here. I mean, he's a former American gladiator. He knows what's up. And Sandra Hess was in the David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury movie, and she's giving it her all. She is... Abysmal. If I could change one thing about this movie, <laughs> one, its name would be Hess. Oh, my God. Hess? No, Hiss. Every time she's on the screen. <laughs> what? Why is the woman whose first role was Cave Nug in Encino Man getting a lead role as a martial artist? Wow. She is terrible. And so is the writing. All of the character evolution where she learned to ask for help last time, she has to learn that same exact lesson here. Does she ask for help? Well, she has to learn to trust others. I guess that's what's happening. I mostly don't see this as characters growing and changing. I see, mostly just see it's time for battles. And maybe that is the way to go if you can convincingly do them. When you have Cyrax, the yellow robot, maybe you skip this fight. Arnie, help me out here. What came first, this movie or the introduction of these robots into the actual game series? Cyrax first appeared in the game that came out at the same time as the first Mortal Kombat movie, Mortal Kombat 3, August 95. Okay, because I was going to give this movie credit for at least creating a cool thing for the game, but the game, once again, is giving it to the series here. Because I remember, after a while, Mortal Kombat, the game, kind of loses its shine because you can only do the same thing to characters so much. And then they introduce these robots that have like some special robot type of skills that you couldn't do with humans or, or magic wielders. So I thought that was a nice refreshing part to the game series. Seeing them realized on screen, did you guys ever see Ice Pirates, that really <laughs> corny 80s movie? Yes, we almost reviewed it instead of Hook. That's right. They had robots that you could tell were just dudes in rubber suits. They never felt like robots, and that's what these guys are coming off as. It's They don't feel robotic. They feel like guys who used to break dance. Mm, if I went to Comic-Con, and I'm not even talking San Diego, if I went to Wizard World Comic-Con in this outfit... I would rightfully be laughed out of the con for having an, just the world's cheapest outfit. Right. And yet they feel this is good enough for on screen. I understand it's got to be hard to make a robot outfit that also allows for punches and kicks. But this is not cutting it. He looks like he wants to sell me Tupperware. And yet, what are your positions on Ultraman, Morphin, and that whole Saturday morning kind of phenomenon in which Japanese kaiju characters battle each other and then they intercut American kids doing the drama part? I do feel like... If you liked Morphin, or if you just want to have more crazy fighting, D-level though it may be, these fights are more enjoyable. I'm too old for Morphin, and I would always enjoy a good fight. Take the guy out of the plastic, and I'll enjoy it a lot more. And I, th I think you're nailing it the heart of the movie here, Stuart. This is very much trying to 
capture some of that success of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers of the time. This feels like the same budget. It feels like the same small sets. Mm -hmm. It feels like the same setups outside. It's just dripping with Morphin juice. Yeah, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. Again, I think for some people, that might make it more fun. If you did not feel like the action last time captured the game, this action does not do that either. But it does capture the low-budget charm. You tried to claim that the bad CGI had its own charm last week. I'm going to argue that the ridiculous costumes on all of these characters they're fighting has a well-known appeal to a certain age demographic. To a certain age demographic, I'll agree. However, you are making a sequel to Mortal Kombat the movie, which set a tone. Based on a video game series that we already said the first movie was betraying somewhat. It kept true to the characters, it kept true to the story, but it wasn't bloody enough. Right. In what way does this movie portray the Mortal Kombat name effectively? I think it's one step below the roadshow they had going. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I bet you the roadshow people are like, oh, we can do this better. <laughs> they might be the roadshow people. Did I mention one's an American gladiator? <laughs> but again, I'm laughing a lot. The plot... Who even cares? But yeah, people just wander around. All right, let's go through the fights. Let's follow how they're wandering around because they do just wander around into people. Yes, the Cyrax fight. I'll give it. This is where the <laughs> truck backing up song starts playing. And I like it when Jack says, I wish I had these arms in high school. Although I don't know why. Was he bullied? <laughs> Was he wanting to carry his books? Was he lonely? <laughs> I mean, I don't think robot arms are... Wanted to, wanted to play the stranger. <laughs> but we get Liu Kang and Katana. They do run into, as Justin mentioned, Sub-Zero. And we get Sub-Zero versus Scorpion. Yeah, Scorpion comes back with no explanation. He had a brother, too. Is this giving you what you wanted, Justin? Last time you were upset. They're mortal enemies. <laughs> and yet they're fighting together. Here you go. They're going to have a fight on something that's supposed to be an ice bridge, but it looks like drywall. <laughs> it tells me somebody on this set understands, at the bare minimum, some of the importance of the game. You're not going to have a Mortal Kombat movie and not have Sub-Zero and Scorpion in here. And even though they were both killed in the last movie, I don't know that having a brother and just the other one pop up with very little explanation is satisfying. You know what's confusing, though, is basically coming out of this fight, Scorpion takes Katana away. Presumably he's working for Khan. Lou is like, without her, it's over. And Sub-Zero, I think he's going to work with him to get her back. And he just kind of looks at him like, you got a bad attitude, dude. And it's gone. Like, it's, he's not part of the team that forms around Lou to help win her back. He just kind of showed up for this one bit and then said, yeah, whatever, dude, you're on your own. You're not enough for what lies ahead. So you suck. And I do love when Scorpion yells suckers and disappears, though. That was rather fun. But meanwhile, there's strife within Shao Kahn's ranks. We're going to get name drops. There's so many characters. They're going to start name dropping ones 
half the characters in this movie are never named. I had to keep pausing the movie and looking shit up. Meanwhile, they're going to name drop characters that never appear. We're going to hear from Rain, a red-clad ninja, that Cabal and Stryker were beaten but not killed. And for that, Rain gets thrown into a pit of fire. Yeah, and if we're naming all the characters, it should be said before Katana was taken away, she was beating up some nameless ninjas while Liu Kang was taking on Smoke. A different robot that can turn into smoke. But this is striking me a lot. Without the same year, same problem, Batman and Robin. The toyetic nature of we just have to do the characters. It doesn't matter if it works as drama. We just have to make sure that they make an appearance. I presume because they can make a toy or because it's what people expect to see and it will help sell the video game. I thought toy a lot. And as far as I know, there was not an action figure line for this. There was no mention of it in anything I saw. And that's the only reason I could understand trying to squeeze this much in. Instead, it's considered fan service. They're doing this for fans of the game. <laughs> I went into the first one and I knew the basics of Mortal Kombat. I knew the main eight. Here I came in and I've been playing Mortal Kombat Trilogy. I'm still leaning over to my friends like... Who's the robot? Who's the red ninja? I don't know who these people are. Who's the centaur? Not even a centaur, a centaurian. Who's like, body of a stallion, torso of a man, but Capricorn-like horns and a rat-like tail. What the hell <laughs> genetic experiment did this come from? And again, it's so badly rendered, it's fun. It does remind me of Calibos from Clash of the Titans. <laughs> a little bit mixed with the legend devil. But it's the same problem I end up having with the game series around this time, where they're introducing way too many characters to the point where you find it hard to care about any of them. You know, when there's eight characters, you get really good with one or two and you feel special about one of them. But now you have a load screen with 32 characters to choose from. And now they're trying to throw them all on screen. And both of them are starting to ring hollow to me. That's how I felt about some of the later games, too. When we played Mortal Kombat X, some of them were fun, I'll say. Some of the new characters were fun, but it's impossible to build a connection with all of them. You just have to grab your character and go against them. People want a lot of options in a game now, so you've put 32 characters in, but... Now it's an ensemble. You don't have a star. Well, they've told us that one really matters, that Lou is doing all of this. He got in the hamster. He fought the smoke robot. He's doing all of this at this mesa to try and find Nightwolf, who is a werewolf something or rather, that's got something to show him. What happened? I don't understand. He throws a dream into his head? Yeah, he goes on like a vision quest. <laughs> Yes, because we have to use every Native American stereotype. He's a wolf who transforms into a human. It's my animality. Not abnormality, oh, animality. Oh, it is? Yes. Oh. <laughs> that is a new type of fatality that would happen in the games, is you could activate an animality, your character would turn into an animal and kill the opponent. Oh, I thought he kept saying, find the abnormality inside you. I'm like, you found it. It's well on display. You need to put that shit away. You're not wrong, Stuart. <laughs> By the way, this is being played by one of the actors that I actually know, Lightfoot. He was the Indian in the cup if you remember that movie. Yeah, it had Darth Vader in it. <laughs> you know, right around this time, there were some young reader books that were kind of popular called Animorphs. 
and it was about kids who could morph into different animals. So I wonder if this was a theme that was popular with the youth of the mid-90s that I just never really caught on to myself. And here I thought they were ripping off Manimal. Yeah, but Nightwolf should have taught him something more than this. I don't know what the lesson is, and he's gone, and he never comes back into the picture because the picture is overstuffed. Guys, they're always moving on to another characters. According to Nightwolf, Liu Kang has three lessons. This is the last Jedi problem. We only get two of them. I had to go to the novelization to find out what the third one was that was cut from the movie. But the first (laughs) test is to find his courage. Because Liu Kang was a coward, but he needed the courage to find his animality. And yeah, he needed the vision quest. There was an easy way or a quick way. And the quick way is I'm going to be beamed in the head and get concussed by the butt end of a tomahawk that must be the courage part (laughs) that's where Liu kang first gets a sign of his animality he starts to grow scales and i'm like is he going to be reptile is he what is he turning into oh they were building up to him turning into the dinosaur yeah oh i didn't even get that hence animality oh his inner t-rex hence the dragon and the logo This whole thing is being tied to Liu Kang now, Ah. retroactively. I don't think the makers of the game ever really saw him as the dragon, but maybe. He did turn into a dragon in the game, though. That was Liu Kang's animality. In later games, not in the original Mortal Kombat. No, they didn't even have animalities in the original. Right. So the next lesson is don't mess around with other women because he gets seduced slash beat up by this vixen, Jade. She has a bow staff and she obviously is going to be evil. I didn't remember her from the game as being on the side of Outworld, but just the way she shows up at everything, I'm like, you do not trust her. Yeah, she even says that she's showing them the way to go back to Outworld because she escaped from there, and later she's going to conveniently beat one of the people, and it's very clear she's in on the plot to capture these heroes. But these fights are beyond lackluster, right? They're so short. There's so many characters, and each of them have to get a punch in that every fight seems to last the length of a commercial Get them in, get them out, which is the attitude of someone that is being dictated. You must have all of these characters. There is nothing about this story that necessitates having all of these characters. You have James Ramar in a movie, and I think about The Warriors fondly. It's a movie I really like. How much easier would it be if we could go through this movie like The Warriors did and neighborhood by neighborhood encounter different characters, but you keep the core heroes together as a team? Now that they're scattered and we have Sonya fighting some pink lady. Melina, which... Apparently, was a lot of the people at the 20th reunion's favorite fight because it's two women in a mud fight. Yeah, there does seem to be a higher woman quotient. I will say, if you want to see more girls kicking ass, you get it in this movie. But you know why they're separated, Stuart? In Empire Strikes Back, Han, Luke, and Leia got separated. Finish him! (laughs) I am not going to hear any more of this. There's no comparison to even Phantom Menace at this point. So Johnny Cage getting his neck snapped is the equivalent of being frozen in carbonite? (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) And I would take it that is Motaro the Boba Fett? You can keep going all you want. This is no Empire Strikes Back, but the last one was a nice low rent Star Wars. But then Jax gets a fight after the mud fight against a CGI demon that doesn't even come from the game. 
No, yeah, it's a statue or a rock formation that turns into really, really poor pre-render graphics of a demon that Jax gives one punch to and it sinks back down into the ground. It's, I mean, even for low-budget CGI, this is bad. And I think this is round two because, like, when Melina goes down and when that first robot goes down, they have tattoos that come out of their body. They come alive. Their inner spirit, their soul leaves them in the form of a dragon tattoo. And then I thought maybe this giant dragon was just him coming back in bigger form. The dragon tattoo was basically their passport. We're going to find out later. The dragon tattoo is what allowed them to leave Outworld and come to Earth. It wasn't actually a dragon. It was just a magical emblem that would fly away. So I think this dragon statue is pure randomness. The script feels like it was written by an ADD addled eight-year-old on a caffeine high. I mean, really, it does not get more basic. It does not get more rote. The dialogue is equivalent to what I used to watch in 80s cartoons when I was like seven and eight years old. This is really bad. Now, just to be clear, making a movie for eight-year-olds is really bad, but making movies for a 12-year-old is great. Because I feel like you wanted to regress and be a kid again last week, and now you're saying, oh, it's so terrible that they made something so infantile. I'm saying this feels like it was made by an infant, not for an infant. Oh, it can work as both. And again, <laughs> I think there's a long history of kids programming that does this, that gets high ratings. And I think it even goes beyond that. I mean, I think about movies that I watched that was on cable. Like Lou Ferrigno had all these bad Hercules movies. And, you know, there was just this sword and sandals. Hercules even came back with Kevin Sorbo and had this quality to it. I think that there is an audience for this. As bad as it is, there are people that put their tongue in cheeks and kind of enjoy this. I just don't feel like this is being made with a knowing wink. Well, I agree with that. Because we have an inexperienced director that really comes through here, that he's not helping get the best camp out of this. This movie could be so much more funny if that's what they were going for. Yeah, Hercules and Xena were on the air at this point. If they'd smiled and winked and said, ha-ha, aren't we silly, then I'd have a totally different opinion. But I think that Kasanoff thinks he's making a movie on par with the first one that's going to be even bigger than the first one because there's more characters, and I'm just bored. The music isn't even getting me, and the fights, I wish I could get into them. I thought that Robin Shaw did a really good job doing the fight choreography on the last couple last time, but here, these fights are just not doing it, and it may be because of all the powers they're trying to incorporate. When you've got missile shooting, and you're trying to incorporate special moves like Sonya having the kiss of death, that was her fatality was when she'd blow a kiss at someone and here she blows fire dust at that one robot. Oh, that's why she did that. I couldn't figure it out. Okay. The other problem they're facing here is they've moved away from the tournament structure of the game. So in the last movie, when somebody fought and lost, they were dead and done with the movie. And they have so many characters here that they don't want to start peeling off characters throughout this plot until they get to the final battle where they're going to need all of them. Theoretically. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. The one thing they are doing that's a carryover from the last movie is that they're shooting on location. Last time we were in Thailand, here, that's Petra. This is a, a famous 
carving into the stones that's in Jordan, when they finally get to the rendezvous point, everyone does finally come back together. And for some reason, Sindal is screaming and knocking all the rocks down. That's an actual historical site in the Middle East. I did not know that. All I knew is she has terrible aim because she's shrieking for a good 45 seconds before she hits the mark and giving everyone plenty of time to escape. (laughs) By this time, here is a somewhat interesting plot point. Raiden has decided to join them as mortals (laughs) to help them out (laughs) and give up his godly powers. Now, Justin, I'm going to look to you for this one. Did Raiden ever come back looking like this? (laughs) I only know him with the long hair and the rice paddy hat. There's no way. There's no way. This is James Ramar saying, I ain't putting that fucking wig on. I did the Warriors. Give me a vest. (laughs) Give me a vest and an Eminem hairdo. (laughs) I don't think Eminem was a thing yet. We were still listening to techno. But yeah, Raiden looking like this. First of all, I always thought Raiden was really old. <laughs> James Ramar was not all that old at this point. And yet he, I feel old watching him try to <laughs> pretend that he can fight. He says, it's written into his character that he's losing his power the more the worlds are morphing together. But truly, he just is phoning it in. He does not give a fuck about this movie. And you could just sense in every scene, it's all he can do to just kind of half wave his hands in the air and say, yeah, the lightning ain't coming. But <laughs> he does get a fight against not one, not two, but three reptiles. I mean, they... Just look like ninjas, but they're in the credits listed as Reptile 1, Reptile 2, and Reptile 3. And you say this movie is no Star Wars, sir, but one of them was Ray Park. Darth Maul? Oh, wow. Good for Ray Park. (laughs) Y'all gotta start somewhere. (laughs) Reptile number three, you say? Wow. I'm gonna have him autograph my Mortal Kombat Annihilation at the next Star Wars (laughs) celebration. (laughs) But the lizards just are playing peekaboo and you want to talk about people not doing their stunts do not tell me james remar can do all those backflips and doesn't even want to seem to fake it you know like he's not even trying hard enough to let it be convincing when they cut to the stunt double he just does not care about this he must be mad about his paycheck (laughs) and i think that they got a bargain deal on trampolines for this movie because there's a lot of flipping Mm. and then i look at the imdb trivia If you count all the backflips, frontflips, and sideflips, there's a total of 54 flips in an 84-minute movie. (laughs) It is fun in that way. Again, there's something fun about, yeah, these overdone wigs and the people that scream and the satyrs and all the characters, the creatures they want to come to life but they don't have the money for. Yeah, it's just pathetic. It just looks very, very silly here. For some reason, he talked to the gods... Raiden has the belief that the way to end all of this madness is to get Sindal. And Sindal is the mother of Katana, who has gone evil, but if you, I don't know, pin her down, she'll go back to being the nice woman that was the mother to Katana that she explained in the last movie was killed. Right. It's because Shao Kahn resurrected her that she has an evil spirit and is under his spell. But yes, if you reunite them, even though we already did once, (laughs) it's like, and you will die. Yeah, it didn't go so well. And this is again where we're starting to suspect Jade because she just happens to have taken out Sindal when no one was looking and let's bring her to life and won't this make her sweet again. No, it just makes her cackle and act like she should be in Troll 2. 
But one of the better fights in the movie does come out from here because Baraka comes out. Now, this is a character whose design I've always liked from the games. He's got the swords built into his arms and he's got all the makeup on. And You might like him from the game. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, sir, look at what they have swinging from the rafters here. This is pathetic. Yeah, this very much does not translate to the reality of live action. It is so apparently just a rubber mask with no motion. And whoever the costume designer on this movie is, you know, I think they might have found a truck on an abandoned lot or something and just used whatever was in there. Because in the game, I know he was wearing a shirt, but come on, you don't have a monster wearing like a waiter's shirt. He looks like he's about ready to serve me spaghetti. I did have to wonder seeing this in real life, something I never wondered in the game. How does he send an email with those blades coming out of that? I mean, how does he bring a drink to his mouth? It, it seems like it would be very difficult to have them implanted in your arms. <laughs> yeah, Baraka could have been cool. I do remember playing him and liking that character, but they don't even try. Again, this is a numbers game. They throw another one in here, too. Shiva is the four-armed chick that... She has one line. That once Lewis rescued Katana from her cage, she's like, the date is over. They drop something on her, and that's it. I'm writing all these fights down, right? And I'm like, Liu Kang versus Baraka. <laughs> Reptiles versus Raiden. I say, Shiva versus... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the exact right attitude at this point in the movie, too. You know, it's like, I think at this point, we're all getting a little fatigued from the fighting. And when she walks in, it's like, ugh. Another fight. Oh, okay, cool. Just drop the cage on her and let's move on. I do love when Jade reveals she's a traitor. Sindel does the Willow Smith move and whips her hair back and forth. Yeah, that one was fun. A little before the song's time, but they would have put it in here. It would have fit nicely on the soundtrack. And then she does some spinning around. And maybe it's because I'm watching this on the home theater. Sindel had some obvious camel toe going on with that spandex. <laughs> they were trying for something there. You know, lesbianism was kind of a thing in 97. We were exploring it in cinema. I still am. I mean, but you know what I mean. They were trying to. <laughs> they were calling it mother and daughter, but this Katana and this other chick are clearly around the same age. Four years apart. That's a really young mother. Yeah. And so, you know, all this kissing on the forehead and feeling each other up. They were trying to do something while keeping it relatively PG-13. Which all just goes back to the point that this movie was made by a group of 13-year-olds who weren't on the same page <laughs> as to what movie they were making. Yeah. Some thought they were doing Mortal Kombat. Some thought they were doing Morphin Power Rangers. Some thought they were doing a sequel to Masters of the Universe. And I still think that they're doing a ripoff of Empire Strikes Back because <laughs> Shao Kahn, I am your brother. Yeah, there's an emperor here and, and an older God. See, that's one Star Wars never pulled. There was never anyone bigger than the Emperor. No, I, I think Shao Kahn is Vader. Uh, well, he's called the Emperor. Well, but this is a god. All right, anyway. <laughs> the point is that, yes, all of this is building up the family dynamics, which, yes, is a part of Star Wars and every other epic. But, yes, go ahead and keep insisting <laughs> this is in the lineage of the hero's journey. And so what will Raiden do? He has to admit that the tattoo on his back is the same dragon tattoo that all the enemies they've been vanquishing have been brandishing. I love that scene. 
your tramp stamp is the same as all the tramp stamps we've been seeing. What's going on, Raiden? <laughs> yeah, maybe they just go see the same tattoo artist. No, they're all minted by the same father. And that means that Raiden, his brother is Shao Kahn. And what does that mean? Not much. It, it means James Ramar is not good at martial arts and will die immortal and not fight as a god. So no lightning storms here. We are not going to see the character fight as he would in the game. He's going to basically lay down and let the other characters fight the climax. Well, speaking of lay down and let other characters fight, I'm ready to lay down and let this movie end. But even I'm shocked when they go, prepare for final battle. In less than one hour, the realms will be merged. Six days passed? When did they sleep? When did they bathe? When did they eat? What the hell is going on? It felt like six hours passed because this movie moves, this movie drags. And Raiden looks dressed for the beach. I mean, he's like in clam diggers in the tank. He's like, <laughs> I, whatever, man. I, my day off tomorrow. I can't wait. There's no transitional scenes. I mean, at the point where we're talking about where the cage gets dropped on the forearm lady, it's a hard cut, and then they're all in that chamber where Sindel is laying on the altar. I mean, it's just such a hard cut. It's like, well, wait, was that, like, right next door? How did we get here? But, yeah, I mean, you're wondering where they slept and ate? Whoa. You're asking a lot from this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's even more piecemeal than the movie last week, which, again, I argue Anderson is not a good filmmaker, but you can at least see that he keeps a coherency. There's no quality control here. This is slapdash. And now, because we have so many damn characters, we're going to get four on four. Sindel Ermac, who's never named, but he's around another ninja. Ermac? Why? I'm wondering if that's a programmer joke, like Emacs is a Unix editor. Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. It can fly over my head. I just sounded like a geeky name. Motaro and Khan are waiting for Sonya, Lou, Katana, and Jax. And Jax, again, he gets the one-liners. He's going to fight Mr. Ed. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And leftovers are fine with me. So she gets Ermac. And that's right. That he, Ermac is a leftover. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly right. I don't think Ermac ever spoke. I don't think he was ever spoken to. He just stands around and vamps. Basically, as in the last film, we're just wanting to watch Liu Kang fight, right? No, I don't want to watch that. I just want to watch credits. <laughs> but you know Well, what you're I not going to get either. Because yeah. guess what we get to watch? <laughs> He's going to turn into a dragon and Baldi is going to turn into a Hydra. And maybe the ambition of this was right at the time. Maybe they thought they could do something more than they could a couple years ago with the CGI. But if it looked this bad, honestly, just leave it out, right? You have to. The last one was charming. This one is pathetic. It's like, I don't know why I found the last one charming. Maybe it was the vibe of the movie in general. Maybe it was the color. Like, they were not afraid to go neon with Reptile. Reptile existed in a color palette you couldn't have in the movie. Here, I feel like they're actually trying to make it real. And last time, I was fine with them going Roger Rabbit. But by trying to make it real, I'm just like, my God, is this going to be the real end fight? Is these two a Hydra versus a dragon? And is that going to be the end? I mean, it's bad when I'm getting excited because Jax realizes he's found... It hit me. This is a road movie. It's the Wizard of Oz. And Jax needed to find his faith in himself and rip off his metal arms to win a fight. And Sonya needs to learn to ask for help again. She did? Yeah, because she can't beat Ermac. 
because he calls up a shadow ninja. And so after taking out Mr. Ed, Jax takes care of the shadow ninja, allowing Sonya to break Ermac's neck. They even say, Sonya says, so you finally got your confidence back, huh? And he goes, so you finally asked for help, huh? Oh, I'm missing all of these important character moments. What does Katana learn from her mother? How not to do hair? (laughs) (laughs) This is just laughable. Terrible on every level. But at least Khan and Liu Kang turn back into humans. Yeah, they know they can't finish the fight this way. This will not... You need to see somebody get slammed down and finish him, and they die as mortals. Of course, it's Khan that goes down. Yeah, I don't know that they could afford to continue to render anymore that fight. They had to turn back into mortals. Yeah, because Liu gets the upper hand and gets Khan down. Khan's tattoo flies away. Shinnok turns into a Rubik's Cube? I don't get that. Is he imprisoned or dead or... Wait for the sequel. Oh, wait. (laughs) We'll get there. Oh, there's more. I can't wait. Outworld disappears. Yeah, conveniently, we just sort it all out and everything's back to normal. Stock footage galore. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they bothered showing us San Francisco and Paris and New York when I don't feel like we were ever there in the movie. No, not at all. And of course, Raiden's brought back to life and is made a god and therefore has to leave, but not before telling everyone to form a chorus line. I love the fact that they end up like hands on shoulder, like dancing away. This is, it's like a musical. They're a family now. Mm, I don't do that with my family. (laughs) Well, did you guys stay for the 11 minutes of credits? Did something happen at the end? No, but it got the three best songs of the movie in the end credits. KMFDM is back with Megalomaniac. Then we get Megadeth. They're a little past their age at this point, but Almost Honest is a really solid song. And then it ends with Man Breaks, Are You Ready? It's fine. I thought it was Rammstein. Well, that's the last one is Rammstein. Okay. Yeah, I like Rammstein. There's just something about hard music in German that makes me feel like we lost the Second World War and this is the music of that alternate world. Rammstein always takes me there. (laughs) The national anthem that could be. (laughs) So in the novelization, there was the third test, Liu Kang's third test. Right before he dies, Raiden was going to reveal the final test is Liu Kang's faith in Katana and courage to face Shao Kahn, both of which he'd already conquered before that moment. (laughs) Poor writer. I really feel for him trying to write this one. Poor us having to watch this one, but Justin Stewart, finish this. (laughs) Justin. Come on. Obviously not going to recommend this, but what they did here is, (laughs) dare I say it, a little bit more faithful to the look and feel of the game series at the time. The costumes on the bad guys, especially, feel more like right out of the game. But that's not enough to carry a movie. Some of the performances are bigger and funnier and cheesier, but overall this thing is just uneven on every level. If everybody was on the same page and there was a wink and a nod that we all know we're in this cornball movie and we're just having a good time, there might have been something here. So what I'm walking away with from this experience with Mortal Kombat the movies is 
that I think there's still something to this property. If they were to come out in a couple months and say that, hey, they're making a new Mortal Kombat movie, they're rebooting, I would find myself at least a little bit interested. My ears would perk up for that because I still do find the look and feel of this universe and some of the characters interesting enough to have a life on the big screen. It just hasn't happened in either of these two previous movies from the 90s. So, yeah, I'm not coming back to these, but if they want to do something in the future, I'm not completely out on this. Stuart. I like it better. That is my controversial stance, is I had more fun. I laughed more watching this incredibly cheesy, corny movie. That said, yeah, it could have been funnier. It's not funny on purpose. It's going to hurt the people that loved the movie last week because it's so sloppy and unconvincing. And honestly, it's ultimately bad for everyone. I can't endorse it even as a brown arrow. It's a red arrow, not a brown arrow. But I did have some brown arrow fun every now and then. There are scenes and moments that I treasure. A lot of it is Sindal. I just, anytime she's on screen, whipping her hair around, I'm having a giggle. Now, you could say the problem was too much ambition, not enough money. They had too many people in the cast. But having recently watched Infinity War... It's clear that you can have a number of characters all on the same screen and it will work. That is not the problem. Having no more ambition than to sell a video game is the problem. What they wanted to do was use this movie as an excuse to sell a game. And they did not think about telling a story. The movie drama is an afterthought. And that is what they can fix in a reboot these days. That is what they would do in a reboot these days. I am confident that, yes, Mortal Kombat could work. It has not worked. And has failed us in these two movie iterations. But I think you got to go to A-list or at least B-list talent to bring this into the movie screens. You have to have somebody look at these as characters and not fight choreographers to get something out of this more than a cheesy Saturday afternoon Hercules movie, which is what it feels like. Pretty empty, pretty bad. Another solid not recommend. Did I even watch a Mortal Kombat movie? I mean, that's what I'm trying to figure out. There was no real battles. I mean, at the very beginning, Shao Kahn is breaking all the rules and just invading. And I don't remember hearing excellent finish him, fatality. Yeah, there was an animality and a blowing a kiss and some techno music. There were characters that took the names and dime store wardrobes from a game but this does end up feeling more like a san diego comic-con cosplay event and less like an actual licensed mortal Kombat property in fact i know for a fact the people at midway weren't happy with this this wasn't a good advertisement for their game the people who made the movie weren't happy with this i walked out of that theater unhappy with this my friends and I, yes, Sindel is a laugh riot. <laughs> and she literally looks like Laura Sanchiacomo. I can't you believe You nailed that one. It is the stand part two. She's <laughs> <laughs> always bothered me. Maybe it's because they came out really close together in my mind. But other than her, everybody... I feel is either not trying at all or trying to be in a good movie and it's just not coming together around them. This is a disaster and I lay it completely at the feet of Lawrence Kasanoff. I mean, he's the one who thought we didn't need people. We have characters. We don't need to worry about screenwriting and who's doing the acting and anything like that. So it's a 
burning red arrow. It's a complete fatality. But you know, sometimes series, they get a bad installment and they're like, yeah, that one didn't work, but let's go out on a high note. Let's get the band back together. Let's try to recover from this. Yeah, I would have still thought there would have been a third one that was even worse, frankly. They actually had in pre-production, actually early stages of production, Mortal Kombat Devastation. They got back. Contracts were signed with Christopher Lambert. Oh. Lyndon Ashby. Sure. Robin Shaw. Okay. Keith Cook. Yep. Lynn Red Williams was going to come back as Jax. The second Jax. Okay. And for some reason, some actor named Adoni Maropis, he had a signed contract. <laughs> sure. Bring your favorite hat and come to the set. Do something funny. <laughs> He was going to play the new Sub-Zero. Sandra Hess and Talisa Soto were in talks to reprise the role of Katana and Sonya Blade. Wait, 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 wait. Did you say the new, new Sub-Zero? A third Sub-Zero? Yes. His other brother Sub-Zero? Okay, I'm good. He's a big family. (laughs) Unfortunately, I guess Bridget Nielsen had married Pete Sampras and didn't need to go back to this kind of well for money anymore. Yeah. So they were going to bring back the second Sonya Blade, and it was going to be done by New Line. Somebody named Mink was hired to direct. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's like Pete off. (laughs) It was the era of one-name directors, you know? <laughs> McGee. Uh-huh. He's a Brit who moved to Los Angeles and is known for movies like Full Clip and Into the Sun. I believe Into the Sun is a Halle Berry dune buggy movie? No, it's got Steven Seagal. Oh, I'm not sure what I'm thinking of then. <laughs> and Full Clip had Busta Rhymes with Kisbit. But he was going to direct. They had Lawrence Kazanoff and sean catherine derrick writing the script and it was going to have the heroes against quan chi and a resurrected sang song and then believe it or not hurricane katrina put the stop to it fatality when it destroyed the sets oh my god it was that late yeah oh so it was like almost 10 years after this disaster seven yeah wow wow god said no He's like, no. <laughs> they decided to take the insurance money and call it a day. I, I'm glad. <laughs> Taking the insurance money, flawless victory. Yeah. <laughs> Smart bet. <laughs> and yet this property did live on in TV series. Uh, you mentioned last week there was a syndicated show. There was an animated show. Two of them. Oh. Actually, three of them. I did watch the animation that came out. With the first Mortal Kombat, it was like 25 minutes of animation and then 20 minutes of making of the first movie. And it was just poor 80s G.I. Joe level animation, introducing all the characters and telling their history and having some bad fights. I did watch a couple of different TV series, in fact. Oh, I'm sorry. I would think a quick cancellation, though. It couldn't be many episodes. So there was Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm, which was a... 96 cartoon i didn't watch that but i read a little bit about it and it's very gi joe with the heroes having a base with a plane and everything and going on missions to stop evil deeds by the others but i did watch the live action series mortal Kombat conquest and that was the one that was after wwe Mm -hmm. and it was a lot of tightly clad clothing on both men and women and 
it's weird because it's supposed to take place 500 years in the past and have Kung Lao, who is from the game, is an ancestor of Liu Kang fighting against Shang Tsung. And Raiden and Shao Kahn are there, totally different actors again. And Jamie Presley was in an episode of it. I always like seeing her. Not seeing her <laughs> act, but just seeing her. Eva Mendez had an early role in it. Ooh. The problem is the production values are just about as good as Mortal Kombat Annihilation mm. with less fights. Yeah. Those shows all looked like, oh, ancient China will walk into a Pier 1. Like, that's it. That's our budget. Just some wind chime. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunately a lot of talking about fighting and not a lot of fighting mm. and drama that didn't work. And I was glad when it came to an end. Okay. But I did watch a TV series called Mortal Kombat Legacy that ran for two seasons. And it was actually a YouTube series. Oh. A director named Kevin Tantarone was a Mortal Kombat fan. Oh, is this the one where the fan film got him a YouTube series? Yes, it is. They did a trailer. Yes, that trailer was incredible. I never watched any of the ensuing series, though. He did an eight-minute film that was just fight choreography based on Mortal Kombat. Okay. And it was put out on YouTube, and it was a resume. He wanted to sell <laughs> Warner Brothers. I have a vision for a new Mortal Kombat series. And I watched it, and it was really good, the trailer piece. And so he got to do Mortal Kombat Legacy. And... Ran two seasons. I picked them up on iTunes. They're eight to 12 minutes per episode. Ah, perfect. So you could watch it almost like a movie. Mm -hmm. The thing I found weird is it's got several parallel stories. So you get like the Scorpion Sub-Zero rivalry, but we see them before they're Scorpion and Sub-Zero. We see them when they're friends. We see why they had a falling out. We see them have their first big battle. One dies and is resurrected. Meanwhile, in a totally different thing, we see Shang Tsung freezing time to talk to Johnny Cage. So the characters don't really come together. We drop in at a little moment in their lives. Mm -hmm. There's no overriding story that unifies them. In season two, they tried to do a bit more of that. Because this first season just felt like all set up. It really didn't feel like it got anywhere. And it did take risks. It deviated tremendously from the main series. Like, it tried to be real world, quote unquote. Raiden, is he the god of lightning? Or is he insane? Because he's actually in a mental hospital getting electroshock. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Well, little 12 monkeys there. So the second season came out, and I felt like the visual effects weren't as good, but at least it had more fighting. I found the second season better. There was talk of a third season, and Ray Park was cast in it and things, hmm. but it never happened. It was supposed to come out back in 2016. Tell me Robin Shaw wasn't beating down their door after Chun Lee. <laughs> <laughs> he had very little to lose with that, but instead, in 2011, New Line announced a Mortal Kombat reboot, which is one of the reasons we've never reviewed the Mortal Kombat series when we had a couple weeks, is because that reboot kept dangling in front of us since 2011. In 2015, James Wan signed on to be the producer. And just in 2016, I mean, it's still a long time between news bits here, but they got a director, Simon McQuoid, who has never worked in film before. Perfect. <laughs> I'm looking him up on IMDb. <laughs> His entire IMDb resume is Mortal Kombat announced as director. 
Wow. But I believe sooner rather than later, especially with the slate of video game movies that has inspired us to start blowing in our Nintendo cartridges for some retro movie reviews, it'll be within the next two years, Mortal Kombat will return to screens. Yeah, I think after, I mean, looking at Marvel and Infinity War and all of that, it's the right time. Like, we can process an ensemble film about comic book characters that beat on each other. You just need to tell a story. They just need to have dramatic arcs and relationships, and you gotta make it a movie. Like the first one. (laughs) But yeah, (laughs) but you make it a movie, and it might work on a mass appeal. I do think it could have a crossover appeal beyond the video game audience. I still think they'd go PG-13. We'd never get the blood we really want. If you want that, check out that Mortal Kombat webisodes. They had a little bit of it. I don't even think you need to slather on the gore to bring in the directed audience. I mean, they could even, they could get their ducks in a row. They released a game about 10 years ago, Mortal Kombat versus the DC Universe. And both of these properties could probably benefit from the two of them merging together for a little bit, maybe on the screen. (laughs) Oh, wow. So they could show up in Justice League. (laughs) It wouldn't hurt them, either of them. No, it wouldn't. Those are fun games. I do enjoy the Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe. Oh, I mean, it's a concept that I actually, I like that better than I like the Marvel versus Capcom. And I'm more of a Marvel fan when it comes to the entertainment side of it. Yeah, ditto on that. I I like the Mortal Kombat game better. It's just more fun than any of the Street Fighter versus Marvel ones. Not that those aren't fun in their own way, but the Mortal Kombat ones are just more visceral. But yeah, I think there's still an appetite out there for Mortal Kombat. I think it's a property that has done a good job of staying somewhat relevant over the years. You know, even kids that are younger now in their teens know of Mortal Kombat. It's got the name. It's got weight. It just needs to be put in the hands of somebody who knows what it is and cares about what they're putting out. And again, I'm not dreading it. I think the game is fun. I think it could work. I just don't think they've done it yet. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with getting the right people involved. Like Yui Bowl. The next time we go to the video games, we're going to one of the most infamous. Alone in the Dark. The next movie's torture is going to make Mortal Kombat Annihilation seem like a fleeting memory of heaven. (laughs) Well, maybe it'll help that in between then, we'll be finally getting to Ocean's 8 and Incredibles 2. So hopefully those will be good enough to counterbalance what's coming at us. Because it's going to hit us harder than Sub-Zero. It's going to be a Sub-Zero movie. (laughs) We'll be lucky if we aren't stuck with a fatality. Then again, you bowl... You know, he does take on certain critics in the boxing ring. You talk shit about him, he'll beat you up. I'm not worried. I would pay to see you and he go a few rounds. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'd rather get in the ring with him than watch this movie again. I've seen it before. The alien Giger-esque box art duped me the first time. But man, I'm coming with full eyes open. I know exactly what it's going to be. I have no idea what we're into. I might have even seen it. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Christian Slater and this is with Tara Reid and her boobs. We watched it together. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's an archaeologist. It's terrific. Uh, I was scared of this movie already, but I didn't realize Tara Reid's on board. So Best casting since Denise Richards was a nuclear physicist in James Bond. Better. <laughs> And then this Friday, don't forget to keep purging with us as we build up to the first purge, which I'm sure you're seeing ads and know what we're talking about by this point. 
Yeah, this one is Anarchy. It's the second one. It's bigger, it's better, and it's out on the streets of L.A. And if people wait a couple weeks, they can binge and then purge. Arnie loves that joke. <laughs> <laughs> and until then, game over and fatality. Now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Finish him. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You've all made me very proud. I will be watching. So stay out of trouble. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Just another starstruck fan, huh? And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, The Wizard, Doom, Final Fantasy, Prince of Persia, Super Mario Brothers, The King of Kong, Tomb Raider, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Rampage, and more. If you'd like a tour, I'd love to give it to you myself. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Ah, now I done seen everything. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. Do not underestimate the power of the human spirit. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. You're still running away from your destiny. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Every mortal is responsible for his own destiny. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. At last, one of them is understood. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. Come here! If you enjoy Now Playing, please head to iTunes and leave us a five-star listing. It's the best way to help spread the word about the podcast. I've got to tell you something. You guys did great. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book. Underrated movies we recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Get over here! You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. <laughs> yeah, now that's what I'm talking about. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Wise cultivate his favor. Those who challenge his power become his slaves. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Arnie. Piece of cake. Piece of cake, huh? Well, that was easy for me. Oh, get over yourself. Now Playing credits read by Brock. Fate. 
The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. I say the only ones we can trust from here on out are humans. Nobody else. Not even Ray. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. It wasn't enough you filled my head with that nonsense. How can you, a wise man, believe this? We all blame it, including your brother. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Now Playing is the Venganza Media Production Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Flawless victory. <laughs> Mortal Kombat 2. Mortaler Combatter. <laughs> who is working with his father, a new character, I'm presuming not from the games? From the games, Shinnok. Say it again? Shinnok. Oh, okay. Say it fast enough and it's a shick. <laughs> Even though he just saved the world from Shang Tsung. Shang Tsung. I was thinking Wang Chung. I'm like, what is what rhymes with Wang Chung? <laughs> <laughs> Why did nobody yell Shao Kahn in this movie? It was a missed opportunity. <laughs> and you say this movie is no Star Wars, sir, but one of them was Ray Park. Darth Maul. Oh, wow. Good for Ray Park. <laughs> Y'all got to start somewhere. <laughs> Reptile number three, you say? Well, I'm going to have him autograph my Mortal Kombat Annihilation at the next Star Wars celebration. <laughs> that and my Ghostbuster CD. Oh, I got it. Take a second. <laughs> not Junior. Not Junior. <laughs> oh, you're not that guy. <laughs> oh, you're white. <laughs> Stick a microphone in his face. He might, he might round off kick you to the head for that. <laughs> Hang on, I'm getting people walking around. Finish that. Yeah, right. Get over here. Get over here. <laughs> <laughs>